Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey. I'd like to thank you very, very much for joining the show. Please do give a like, comment, subscription, written review, star rating, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Anything you can do to help out is deeply, deeply appreciated as we continue to try and grow the show. I mentioned it before, February is one of the best months we've ever had. I'm hoping that March is even better, of course. And a lot of that's, most of that's on you. I mean, I I am not very good about even promoting my own stuff, now that I think about it. But I will, but I do what I do, and the extent that you all are doing what you're doing, it, it means a lot to me. So a lot of the growth tends to come from that kind of stuff. So thank you, thank you, as always. You guys are the best. All right, on the agenda this evening, should be a little bit lower key episode. Not a lot of news. Um, UFC on ESPN plus 61 last night. Mentioned before, not a flashy card on paper, but a pretty solid one. And it delivered in spades, actually. And a preview of this coming week, UFC on ESPN plus 62. Uh, that's the UFC's return to London, uh, in theory. We'll see if that holds. Um, apparently Europe is dealing with the most recent surge. I'm not even going to call them waves at this point. That, that seems, I don't know that I think that's the right way to go about that, but the, uh, I don't want to get this video in trouble. The mysterious virus of unknown origin, put it like that, uh, seems to be another surge going on in Europe in various places. So we'll see if that impacts the plans for this coming Saturday or not. Uh, we'll see if the war in Ukraine impacts anything. Uh, there's a bunch, there's several, not a bunch, but there's several Russian fighters on this card. Some of them were unable to travel. I think there was at least one Ukrainian fighter who was unable to get out of the country. Uh, a lot, given that so much of the European Union, uh, and I, I believe you know, the UK in particular, uh, has started disallowing work visas for Russian citizens. And I'm not sure I feel about that. I mean, I don't want to get deep into this. I don't know nearly enough to have the most the most informed opinion on the war. So I'm going to limit my what I say next to the following statements. I'm not sure how effective it's going to be to punish the average citizen for what's going on. That's all I'm going to say. I don't look. I'm not in support of Russian aggression and expansion in this particular instance. I I think they shouldn't be there. I, as I said, I am not the most knowledgeable about the ins and outs of the political and military efforts going on, so I'm not going to talk any more about that. It's just more to say, and I've seen this across combat sports and other sports in general. All of the Russian national teams were kind of banned from international competition, which I think is fair. If you're part of a team or if you're going to a even if you're an individual, but you're going to a competition where national identity is key. So the Olympics, for example, no one can go. I know the Olympics aren't up for a while, but you couldn't go to the Olympics representing Russia. The Russian national soccer team, the, you know, all of these things, they have been you know, essentially blacklisted. And I, it sucks for the athletes, but I understand if you're going to if we're going to make this about things that are done deliberately about nationality, then it makes sense. 
by the time we get to an individual level in an individual sport where your nationality doesn't matter one iota, I think you're just being unduly punitive. The, the people who have been calling for like, you know, we should, how should the UFC handle Russian fighters? You know, maybe the same way they've been doing it. Like, they're not blocking out things that are done for national pride is one thing. And if you go to, to competitions representing your nation, that's what you're doing. If you happen to be a citizen of a country doing something, that's not the same thing. Again, I think it's unduly punitive, and I think that's going to go badly. Uh, but that's my take on it. That's not, and that's my, again, fairly uninformed take for all, thing, all things considered. But that's my stance as far as those go. So whether or not the, uh, the government of the, the British government potentially, you know, monkeying around with visas from Russian citizens and whatnot, we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. For the moment, I'm going to assume it's going forward as planned. So we'll be previewing that, and again, not a lot of news, fairly quiet week actually, so yeah, that's on the agenda, and let's go ahead and jump into what's going on here. Alright, UFC and ESPN plus 61. Main event, Magomed Ankalaev defeats Tiago Santos for unanimous decision, 49-46 twice, 148-47. I don't get the 48-47. Uh, I, I really don't. Uh, we've 49-46 was my scorecard. First round on Kalaev, very tentative first round, but on Kalaev was the more active and the generally more effective fighter. Second round on Kalaev starts opening up. Things are kind of going his way. Near the end of the round, exiting uh, a pocket exchange, he kind of gets clipped along the top of the head with a left hook. A little bit off balance, falls down. Santos gets on, gets on top. Rides out the last 30-ish seconds in half guard. You work some punches, a few short elbows. Enough to win Santos the round, given that everything else had been... While everything else had been favoring Ankalaev, it had not been a blowout round for him by any stretch of the imagination. So 1-1 going into the third. After that, it was just a lot of Ankalaev. He was really good about hurting uh, Santos to the body, using front kicks to the body. These two both landed some pretty serious leg kicks. Uh, Santos just could never seem to kind of get in gear. Anytime he'd try, Ankalaev would either evade him and reset or counter him. Uh, again, I was really impressed with the body work that Ankalaev put in on this fight. Uh, and it, it clearly had an effect on Santos, especially down the stretch. Uh, he got, the fourth round in particular, he got a little bit, uh, he got a little bit winded. There was a takedown in the fourth from Ankalaev. Not a lot of wrestling from Ankalaev overall, which was a little surprising to both the broadcast and me. I didn't expect him to be, uh, you know, Khabib about it, to, for want of a better example. You know, just doggedly, relentlessly pursuing the takedown to the exclusion of other forms of offense. But I did expect him to try it more often, especially once they started clinching. Uh, and... For whatever reason, he chose not to. I mean, ultimately, it worked out. He got the win. He got a fairly, a fairly clear win. You know, there's no, there's no argument that Santos won this fight. I don't even think you can really justify giving him two rounds. But he, it was an avenue that I thought might be more open to him. We get into the third round and they start clinching, and it seemed like a missed opportunity to me. 
especially because Ankalaev has good ground and pound. You haven't seen a tremendous amount of it in the UFC, but if you watched his come up on the, you know, like through M1 and the other regional scenes in, uh, what did he fight? I know he did a lot in M1. No, he didn't. Sorry, he's not M1. Uh, the WFCA, which is where I saw some of his stuff for the first time. So he's, if you saw that, he was kind of a ground-and-pound monster, and then that's what he did a lot of in his UFC debut before he got caught in the triangle choke. And he just seems to have gotten away from it a little bit ever since. Which, I thought this would have been a good time to bring it back. You know, you're trying to put an authoritative stamp on this win, and you're trying to make a case for a title shot. Now, he's won eight in a row, which is impressive. Eight? Seven? Hang on, let me double-check. I think it's eight. Yeah, he's won eight fights in a row. And we can all joke about light heavyweight not being a good division, which isn't so much a joke as an observation, but you know, we can we can joke about it. But winning eight fights in a row in the UFC, pretty much regardless of weight class, is a difficult thing to do. And he hasn't fought the best opposition at every step of the way, but his last couple of fights, he's beaten Nikita Krylov, Volkan Uzdemir, and Thiago Santos. Means he's beaten two title challengers in his last two fights. Uh, he went all five rounds and seemed to hold up just fine over the distance. Now, this was not exactly a fight contested at a furious pace, mind you. So there might still be an issue if he's forced to fight uh, in a different manner. But let fight like this? Yeah, five rounds did not seem to be a problem. But... Ultimately, you wound up being one of the... It was a very tactical fight, and I, I was not bored by it. I know other... But this was... I can also say this was not the most fan-pleasing of fights. I, I don't think that's an unfair bit of uh, criticism to levy at this particular fight. And it could... The UFC is just going to... If they're not predisposed to error in your favor they're just going to do any any excuse to deny you uh, what you might have earned they will take so in the case of on here you'd think that eight wins in a row would be would get him a especially since he's ranked this would put him in the top five uh you would just think this would mean he's in a prime position for a title shot. Especially if we look at light heavyweight real fast. I mean, you're number one. You've got Glover Teixeira as your champion. For some reason, Jan Blahovich is still number one contender, even though he just lost the belt. you got Yuri Prohatska, Alexander Rakic, Anthony Smith. Uh, Santos was at five. Ankalaev was at six. At a bare minimum, those two are going to switch. But... You... An authoritative win here. Uh, he might have been able to leapfrog Rakic. Maybe not in the rankings, but in the way that, you know, in, in the UFC's uh, inter internal hierarchy. And instead, he's going to have to fight at least one more. Uh, he's going to have to fight someone like Rakic or Anthony Smith. I mean, we've got, you know, Teixeira's fight with uh, Yuri coming up. Blahovic, didn't they announce his fight recently? I think they did. Uh, 
Um, I know they were trying to get Rakic and Blahovic together. I think that fell out, didn't it? I'm going to have to double check that now because I think so. And that would affect some things. Yeah. Yeah, they were supposed to fight on uh, later this month, actually. But that fell out uh, back in January. Blahovic had some kind of an injury. So, point being, um, you've... You had an opportunity here, uh, again, to leapfrog some of these other guys when you're coming into a bit of a bottleneck. But, it's, and, you know, I mean, Rakic has looked really good, but his last couple of fights have not been terribly crowd-pleasing, and we know the UFC puts a premium on that. You've got Anthony Smith, who's a, certainly a very good fighter, and I'm not at all going to insult him. Uh, but he's also a guy that's kind of had his shots at the very top and has come up short. But you know, now you're going to have to fight him or someone like him. And that's just, it could have been avoided. That's all I'm saying. Uh, that said, I wasn't in there. And, I mean, these two guys, it, need, it needs to be observed. They were throwing hammers at each other the whole fight. There was not a lot of uh, range finding. It, their kicks were hard. These two clashed on a kick in the uh, the third or fourth round. But uh, they were opposite stances. Ankalaev was fighting southpaw. And Santos went to throw a rear leg kick. Ankalaev went to throw a lead leg kick. And they just banged shins on those. And Ankalaev's shin was split open. I think uh, Santos's might have been as well. Just oof. That hurt, man. I mean, they these two guys hit each other with some pretty serious blows. There were some nasty body kicks that Uncle Live landed, but nothing made me wince quite like that kick to kick. Oof, that hurt. Th that hurt me, man. That just that sucks. Uh, but Ankhlaev, definitely a player, still a guy that I think is. Not only do I think he will contend for a belt, I think he might win it. Uh, him challenging for the title at some point seems a touch inevitable given the state of the division. And him winning it, depending on who he has to fight, I might favor him. I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, if he were if he were fighting uh, Glover, and I don't mean this to dismiss Glover to share his chances, I think I would favor on Kaliyev over Glover. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if Glover won. I wouldn't, you know, not a huge favorite, but I might lean that way. Uh... He's, he's just that good a fighter. But he's entered the phase now where there's a few other people that have claims roughly equal. Not exactly equal. No one else quite has his winning streak. But the, the people who don't have his winning streak have also fought better guys. So there's roughly equal. And in those instances, we know what the UFC does. They go with the people that they like the most. And occasionally that overlaps with people who have, you know, the fights that the fans are the most ha excited to see, but not always. And I, I just don't know that ultimately this performance, while I found what he did certainly impressive because I know what he's doing. And I know how hard it is to do that, especially against someone like Tiago Santos, who's 
an incredibly potent finisher, uh, it's not going to rally the masses behind your cause. Uh, as for Santos, uh, that guy just never recovered from those knee injuries. And, and I, I mean, who could blame him? You know, he had uh, one of his knees almost completely destroyed. Oh, sorry. And the other severely damaged. And that, that fight with John Jones. Uh, yeah, he, he's never been the same since. I don't know if it's bits of distance. His explosiveness isn't quite there. His combination work has fallen off. Then again, it should be noted that his run-up to his title shot was not quite... The guy's got a good highlight reel. Let me, let me say this correctly. He has a very good highlight reel. But if you watch all of those fights in their entirety, you could see this style of fighting coming from him as things started diminishing. Because he was never quite the you know, relentless marauder that his highlight reel would lead you to think he is. Which is not to say he's a bad fighter. It's more to say that this isn't a sharp left turn if you really track the details of his career to this point. Uh, he's still a very good fighter, but I think this probably was his last, will represent his last gasp at, you know, very top of the division. Uh, as for who he should fight next, oh my God, he's going to drop down. Uh, maybe Jamal Hill? Jamal Hill seems to be coming on. Uh, you could... Dominic Reyes would make a degree of sense. You've got two guys on the decline. Uh, that's a rough fight for both of those guys. But, yeah. Lighthead is in a weird spot, is all. you got a few guys who are kind of hanging on. You've got a few exciting up-and-comers, but they've got these weird losses. You've got some guys that have... Just no uh, experience at the very at the elite level, so it it's just not a very it's not the healthiest division. I mean, this is one of the few divisions I've said this before. I might joke about Bellator sometimes because they make it real easy, but jokes aside, there's an argument that Bellator's light heavyweight division is I wouldn't say stronger than the UFC's. That might be a bit too much, but almost on par. Uh, look, if you tell me that you thought Vadim Nemkov is the best light heavyweight in the world, I don't disagree with you necessarily. There's a very clear case that can be made for that. You know, Bellator's got a good light heavyweight division. It's not a deep division worldwide. And the UFC's is no exception to that. It's It's lacking. I mean, you've got, you know, Dominic Reyes at number seven. And he's on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, you've got, you got Johnny Walker at 12. I mean, the truly sad thing about that is I'm not, I'm not sure it's unfair to say Johnny Walker is your number 12 contender. Because the division just doesn't have any depth. I mean, part of the, I'm convinced of this. I mentioned this a little bit ago, but I'll say it again. The most recent season of The Ultimate Fighter, the, the one that they're going to be doing soon, which I don't care about, it's going to be heavyweight and featherweight, and women's featherweight. You took the worst divisions, 
and decided this is what you wanted to do. Uh, part of the one of the things about that though, for the people who compete on the Ultimate Fighter, most of them do not compete at their normal weight class. They tend to compete up at least one, because they have to. You have to make weight repeatedly over the course of that show, and for a lot of people, that becomes unfeasible. They offered, uh, I mean, this is somewhat famous, they offered Claudia Gedalia a spot on the, on the uh, whatever season it was with the women's strawweights. And to be candid with you, if she was an entrant into that group of women, I think she'd have won. I think she's better, th at that point in time, I think she was better than all of them. But she knew she couldn't really make, she could not reliably make weight in the time frame that they, that that show requires. And that's a consideration. So having a season of heavyweights, you, look, we're going to have the guys who are under no circumstances fight any less than heavyweight. I'm, I have no doubt. We're also going to get some guys on that show who fight at heavyweight more in the 220-ish range. And their plan is going to be to make a showing, try to get their foot in the door, and if they get their foot in the door in the UFC, move down to light heavyweight. That happens a fair bit. So we might get some new blood in here, but I don't know. It's, again, it's just not a good division. So that was your main event. Not the best fight on the card. Uh, prob I, I was a little bit more kind to it than most were. I think a lot of people were not very impressed with this fight. I, I, I didn't hate it. I don't even think it was the worst fight on this card, for whatever my opinion on that is worth. Uh, Co-main event. Ooh, this hurts. Um, Song Yudong defeats Marlon Marais via knockout, punches 206 of the first. Um, Song hurt Marais pretty early. Marais responded. Uh, he, he fired back, he kind of cracked uh, Song at one point. But the finishing sequence comes, Song throws an overhand right as Marais is jabbing. The overhand right doesn't land, but Marais also doesn't get his left hand back all that quickly. So Song kind of throws a little bit of a left jab, kind of shovel hookish punch to stand Marais a bit more upright, and then fires a right uppercut under the left arm. Lands flush, drops him, we're done. The fall of Marlon Marais has been kind of heartbreaking. Uh, Marlon's a guy I always went out of my way to watch when he was fighting in the World Series of Fighting, which is now the PFL. Uh, I was excited when he got to the UFC. He had some great knockouts. He had some good fights. But that Henry Cejudo fight, man. That first... People forget this. That first round of that fight with Henry Cejudo, Cejudo had nothing. He had almost nothing to offer Marais in that round. Second round, he gets inside of kicking distance, forces more boxing exchanges... And is able to kind of grind Marais down from there, uh, ultimately leading to the finish in the third. Marais just has never seen... Once people figured him out, um, that problem has remained solved. Uh, he, and again, it kind of sucks because I, I love watching that guy fight, but... Uh, if he gets one more in the UFC, I don't even know if he wants it. I mean, he might retire. Um, 
He might get one more. If he does, he needs a serious step back in competition. But he's 33, which is not the oldest for bantamweight, but it's also, it's not great. But he's also got 34 fights. He's been fighting since 2007. You know, that's that's a non-trivial amount of time. You know, that's, jeez, uh, 10, 15 years-ish? Yeah, right about 15 years. You know, that... That's when thing. That's when the wheels start coming off a little bit. Just needs to be said. And he's kind of been figured out. You know, he's not only lost four in a row. He's been finished in all four of those. He's one and five in his last six. The only win was that split decision over Jose Aldo, which I scored for him, for the record. But I don't argue against people who say that if he scored it for Aldo, I think that's perfectly acceptable. Uh, I kind of thought he got screwed on that, his UFC debut. I thought he beat Austin Sal, but uh, it happens. Uh, yeah, it, it's just unfortunate, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's, I don't know how much more is left for him. Uh, as for Song, that dude's a problem. He's got fast hands, and he's got serious power. He's hard to take down. Not impossible, but it's hard. He tends to have a few smaller issues over the distance. Um, He's got decision wins on his resume. I want to make that clear. But that's been a bit of an issue, and people who can really keep him at distance have given him problems. Um, Even when he beat Marlon Vera, that gave him problems. uh, The length of Vera. Um, I thought he lost the Casey Kenny fight. Uh, I, I scored that for Kenny. But it was it didn't make me scream clucky when it kind of when it went to song. Uh, I, I just disagreed, but that's not the end of the world. Uh, but good camp, hard to take down, fast hands, good power, good footwork, uh, good about finding angles. Not unbeatable, but his only... I mean... How'd he do in 16? He had a bunch of fights in 2016, so... I bring that up because he lost twice. In 2016, he went what? Yeah, he went 4-2 in 2016. So, yeah, a lot of fights. But... On October, in October of 16, he lost. Then he went undefeated, had one draw in there, uh, until he fought Kyler Phillips in 2021, and he's 3-0 since then. Uh, He called out Dominic Cruz after the fight, which... I would rather see Cruz and Aldo, just me, personally. But that's not a bad... That's a very reasonable call-out. Um... I mean, Bantamweight's a stack division. He was he was ranked coming into this. Yeah, he was uh, 14, and he fought Marais, who was 10. Um, he's already fought Marlon Vera. If you wanted a tough fight for him, um, there's two names in particular that I think would be really tough fights. Either Rob Font or Marab Dwalis, really. 
Um, either of them, for very different reasons, would be serious tests for him. If you wanted something more akin to the level I assume he's going to be at, I kind of assume he's going to be around 10. You got Pedro Munoz sitting at 9. Uh, Song and Pedro Munoz would be... I mean, that would be something. That would be a heck of a fight. It's hard to go wrong. But this is a guy that is a serious problem for this division. And... I, I'm not even going to say future title contender necessarily. Because I, I do need to see him against the type, the type of guys he's going to be facing now. Like, there's not a lot... He's not going to fight down too much after this. Um, so he's he's probably not going to be fighting, you know, the guys who are either unranked or ranked all that much below him. He's probably not going to fight Frankie Edgar or Sean O'Malley. Um, yeah, O'Malley fight would be interesting. I mean, they won't do it. They're not going to they're not going to risk Sean O'Malley and Sean O'Malley on the current contract he's under is not going to risk his health against Song Yadong. And I don't blame to be abundantly clear, I'm not a fan of Sean O'Malley's necessarily, but I don't blame him for that bit of logic one iota. If you pay me the same whether or not I fight the number 2 guy in the world or the guy you just signed off the contender series, why would I fight the number 2 guy in the world? Hey. He he again, he's making sense. So But he, he's going to be fighting the guys like Cruz, Dwellis, really Font, Munoz. That's in his immediate future. And there's a... I'm not quite sure what his ceiling is, but he's really good. And he's going to be a real handful even if you can beat him. Uh, let's see. Next up, featherweight Sadiq Yusuf defeated Alice Caceres for unanimous decision. 230-27s, 129-28. 3027 seems a bit odd. I thought Caceres had the first. But after that, um, a lot of leg kicks from Yusuf. Uh, this just wasn't a very... This wasn't a very action-packed fight. Um, both men were able to land punches at various points. Uh, Caceres found a pretty good straight left on occasion when he tried to dart, but he was trying to dart from a bit too close to the fence, and he was never quite able to make the footwork work the way that it's supposed to. Uh, and, I mean, also playing into that, Yusuf just tore his lead leg to pieces with inside leg kicks. I mean, just brutalized it. Didn't have much offense outside of that, but uh, given that Caceres wasn't exactly lighting him up either, it was enough to get the job done. Light heavyweight Khalil Roundtree defeated Carl Robertson via TKO. This was a brutal finish. Um, first round, fairly tentative. Looks like things are going Robertson's way before he kind of gets clipped and dropped near the end of the first. Roundtree ultimately takes the round. Second round, it ends 25 seconds into the second round. Um, Khalil Roundtree came out for that second round and just a hurricane of violence. He got in Robertson's face. He started throwing hooks. He dropped him. Hit this vicious kick to the body as Robertson was kind of sitting on the fence. He's on his seat. Uh, so he can't be kicked in the head, but just a... Roundtree's one of the few guys who I think really tries to make that work. Where he's standing and you're you know, downed, but he knows where and how he can still kick you or knee you legally. 
he makes that work for himself, and a nasty body kick. Robertson is able to get back up, gets clubbed back down to meet uh, with hooks. Ref stops it. Um, I think I saw Luke Thomas tweet. The ending of this fight is how Roundtree at the end of this fight is how everyone thinks they'll do in a street fight, and he's not wrong. Um, brutal finish. Uh, I still don't know what the deal is with Roundtree. Um, he might be, he might wind up being the light heavyweight Eric Silva, which is a reference I don't know any of, if any of my newer listeners will get. But years ago, there was a welterweight in the UFC by the name of Eric Silva. And he's a guy who I said the UFC desperately wanted to be better than he is because he was exciting and dynamic and he had some great finishes. And then anytime he fought someone who was good, they'd hurt him with body kicks or they'd just be able to kind of endure his blitz and they would just beat the crap out of him. And he just always stumbled. And they did the yo-yo thing with him forever where he'd get a couple of wins, and he'd look great, and then he'd take a step up in competition, and he'd get beat. So we kind of yo-yo up and down, and up and down, and up and down. And he, he was just someone that I knew the UFC wanted to be better. Um, he was someone that, he had a good look. He had fights that people liked to see. Uh, he was from uh, from Brazil, so he was trying to, and this was at a, to- at a time when the UFC was kind of trying to find the next Brazilian personality to keep the MMA scene really on fire. And he just never was that guy. I wonder if a little bit of Roundtree might not be that same way. Now, he I mean, he debuts in the UFC and loses, and loses his second fight. Wins a couple... um, Has a big win over Gokensaki... Then he gets stopped by Johnny Walker. He has a decision over Eric Anders. Then he loses two in a row. Now he wins a couple. And we're just kind of on the yo-yo again. So I do kind of wonder if uh, if that's not the pattern that we're going to be seeing here. But, but brutal finish. Solid post-fight promo. Um, whatever I say about the man's... Uh, some of his career, career trajectory and how I kind of get a feel about it. Um, pretty good on the mic and has a you know, tried to do the inspiring speech thing and did it. You know, not the best I've ever heard, but certainly not the worst. So good on him. Uh, good win. Let's see, lightweight this fight. Drew Dober defeats Terrence McKinney via TKO, knee and punches, 317 to the first. This was, uh, the, the other ones that were in this vein were on the prelims, but this was not the only wild back-and-forth fight we had on this card. Terrence McKinney took this fight on somewhat short notice. He comes out like a bat out of hell. Just looks to unload, kind of lands a knee that off-balances Dober against the fence, unloads on him, just... Bombs away, lands a really nice jumping knee that lands clean. Dober perseveres. <laughs> uh, fights back up to his feet, lands a couple of punches, hits his own knee that drops McKinney. He gets on top and pounds him out. Just For as long as it lasted, again, 317, wild. Uh, pretty wild comeback from Dober. Good fight. Uh, 
Dilbert's a guy who's just kind of been around. He's been, I mean, he's been in the UFC longer than you might think. Uh, he debuted for the UFC in 2013. So almost, uh, almost 10 years, November of 13. So coming up on nine years later this, uh, later this year. And as a winning record, um, oh, again, winning record overall, just been a real tough out. He's get uh, the guys he's lost to. Some of them not so good. Earlier in his UFC career, he was losing to. You know, I mean, his UFC debut, he lost to Sean Spencer, who I don't think is with the U. Who is not with the UFC anymore. Um, I think he's lasted very long at all. No, Spencer was there for a bit. Um, he debuted in 13 and then got cut in 16. Yeah, he had those big gaps, like. Yeah, he, he was active for a while and then kind of had a few uh, injury issues before he got cut. Um, lost to Nick Hine. Beat Jamie Varner. Had a weird... Had that weird fight with Leandro Silva that was ruled a guillotine but was a bad call by... like One of the few times I've seen a ref make an outright error like that and the commission overturn the outcome. Uh... Then he lost to Efrain Escudero. Boy, that was a bad loss. Won a couple, lost to Olivier Obama Mercier. Won three in a row, stepped up to Benil Dariush and lost. Won three in a row, including TKOing Alexander Hernandez. Stepped up to Islam Makashev and lost. Lost to Brad Riddell, then beat Terrence. So he's just a really tough... Uh, I don't mean this as a pejorative. He's a tough gatekeeper. Like That's a guy who you might... He won't beat everybody... But at this point in time, you got to be darn good to beat him. And McKinney came close. But I uh, I still think McKinney's got a pretty bright future. Uh, he's just... I think he's... Certainly at the moment. That he is so front-loaded on offense. That... Anytime that if things go long, he tends to struggle. Now, g- being able to extend him in terms of the fight length is not easy. I, I don't mean to imply otherwise. You know, hey, just survived the first round with this, you know, Tasmanian devil. Like, <laughs> good luck. But it is an avenue, so I imagine he'll settle things down a little bit and learn from this. But uh, again, wild three minutes of fighting. Uh, middleweight Alex Pereja defeated Bruno Silva via unanimous decision, 30-27 officially. I gave Silva the second, I think, but ultimately uh, Pereja winning, no issues. Um, it, Bruno Silva, man, this was a good fight. Despite being horribly outsized, Bruno Silva came to this fight, uh, he came to win. You know, that that deserves a lot of recognition. Uh, he absorbed some pretty serious punches from Pereja. He got wobbled more than once. And a couple of times when it looked like, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe Pereja's kind of got him ready to go. He just starts swinging back. Uh, did enough to survive. Landed some good leg kicks. Uh, so credit to Bruno Silva. 
who made this a real fight. The 30-27 scorecards do not necessarily reflect uh, the reality of the fight. So, want to give him credit for that. Uh, Pereja is somewhat notable because he has healed two wins over Israel Adesanya in kickboxing. One of them was a split decision. I uh, haven't seen that one recently. However, I did watch the fight. I made a point to find this one. The uh, the fight, the second fight between them, which Pereja won via knockout. Uh, he's been doing a little bit of the, you know, is he scared of me thing. The only people buying that are people who haven't watched that fight. If you've only seen the highlight and him knocking out Adesanya... It's a good knockout. It's a very legitimate knockout. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on that. But Pereja was losing that fight before then pretty badly. Uh, in fact, the round before the knockout was a 10-8 for Adesanya. So I don't think he's afraid. Uh, you know, Silva made this... He may have exposed a few things that better fighters will be able to... Uh, uh, will be able to exploit... Pereja is better when he's the aggressor. But he can't be too aggressive in MMA because he'll get taken down. And when he backs away from engagements, he tends to be a little bit uh, less defensively responsible. He got hit a few times here when he probably didn't need to. So, I think some, there's some things that other people can maybe try to uh, exploit in the future. But he's a I mean, has a long guy, a strong striker. You can always one of the things about MMA, you can always tell the people who maybe either devote a lot of time to the pure striking arts or who come from them. Because watch how they throw a hook. That might seem like a really weird thing, but watch how Alex Pereja throws hooks. And then watch how a gen then watch Bruno Silva throw hooks. Or any punch from kind of the long to middle distance. And you can see the difference. You can tell which of these people... And I don't mean to pick on Bruno Silva. He's actually a pretty good striker. But pick anyone. Uh, pick any middleweight. And watch how they throw hooks when they fight. And then watch someone who comes from a striking discipline. And watch how they throw hooks. And you can, you can tell the difference. Uh, I mean, I... I'm not going to go over everything that they do differently because you don't care about the mechanics of a good hook versus a bad hook. But even if you don't see all the little details, and I mean, heaven knows I don't. I don't see everything. But if you, even, even the less refined eye, I think you can tell the difference between a good hook from someone who knows what they're doing and someone else so i don't know exactly what the future holds for Pereja. he's trying to kind of hot shot himself towards adesanya i it needs to be said about his ufc debut he lost that first round pretty badly and then just uh threw the flying knee to start the second like I'm, you're gonna try to take me down i don't want to be taken down but i can't i'm not really good enough here to get you off of me so flying knee and we'll hope that works and it did but if you're being comprehensively outgrappled, flying knee is, uh, that should be multiple orders down on your checklist of, you know, what, we, what do we do to try and address these problems? That should be pretty far down the list.
So I, I don't know exactly what the future holds for him, but this was a solid win for him. That needs to be noted. Bruno Silva is nobody's nobody's stepping stone. Uh, and Bruno Silva, you know, to his eternal credit, he made a real fight out of this one. So I pray I will have to fight a dedicated grappler at some point, uh, probably sooner rather than later, but... He's a big guy, he's got skills, and yeah, the UFC might try to hotshot him forward to capitalize on his history with Adesanya. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. Alright, that was your main card. As for the prelims, Matthew Semmelsberger defeated AJ Fletcher via unanimous decision, 29-28. Fletcher had the first uh, pretty good... These two boys went at it. There were just some good fights last night. I don't have a, another way to say that. Uh came out started started throwing hammers both men landed pretty good punches Fletcher got a takedown had a lot I actually gave him a 10-8 in the first he had like four and a half minutes of top control time he had a and a chunk of that was back mount or full mount it was a marginal 10-8 but it was one that I decided to go with second round a lot more on the feet Semmelsberger is getting a little bit the better of things but Fletcher's holding his own towards the end Semmelsberger gets a takedown Works ground and pound and some control, enough to win the round. Third round, more of the same from the second. A little bit more frantic, a little bit higher pace. Semmelsberger ultimately gets the win. Solid debut for Fletcher. These two guys went at it. Good fight. If you haven't seen this one, look it up. Uh, women's flyweight. J.J. Aldrich defeated Jillian Robertson via unanimous decision. 30-27 across the boards. Not a whole lot here. Uh, Robertson couldn't get Aldrich down, and if she can't get you down, she really struggles, and that's what happened. Uh, bantamweight. Um, Javid Basara defeated Trevin Jones via unanimous decision. 230-27s, 129-28. Kind of liked what I saw out of Basara. Uh, hit some really nasty body work uh, that, that visibly slowed down Jones in the second. Long guy for the weight class, good about pressuring forward, kind of sniping from distance. Overcame some adversity because Jones cracked him a couple of times. Uh, solid win for Basara, really. Featherweight. This was a fight. Um, Damon Jackson defeated Kamuela Kirk via arm triangle, 442 of the second. Uh, first round to Jackson. These, uh, Jackson came out aggressive, wanted to get right after it. Kirk took a little bit to get going, but when he did, things started swinging back in his favor until Jackson started forcing him to grapple. Jackson was the superior grappler. Same in the second, except he was able to get the finish, ultimately. Pretty good fight. Uh, Damon Jackson is a gritty veteran who just keeps on... <laughs> dude keeps on keeping on, so credit to him. Women's flyweight Miranda Maverick defeated Sabina Mazo via rear naked choke, 215 of the second. Uh, Mazo's a long flyweight and tall, but she struggles a bit to kind of maintain distance. Uh, and anytime they were able to kind of tie up, uh, Maverick was physically stronger. Uh, nice finish. Uh, the way it kind of came about. Look up the clip would be my encouragement. I don't want to describe. There was a bit too much scrambling for me to, uh, for me to go into all the details here. But Maverick um, kind of got got a takedown. Mazo sat up as she was starting to kind of fight to her feet, and 
Maverick spun towards the back with her left arm kind of already around the neck. And Mazo had her left arm in kind of the under in the underhook position and was kind of uh, so it was kind of trapped between her body and Maverick as Maverick's trying to scoot around. This is Maverick going to her own right. That arm is there for Mazo and it's kind of stopping her from moving. She winds up disengaging it from its position, kind of stopping the back take to fight the hand that's around her neck. You can finish a rear naked choke with only one hand. You don't necessarily need both. It's just really hard. But something about the way that uh, Maverick had it deep enough and where she was gripping. Um, part of the key to gripping it, uh, you get the arm around and then... If you want to just practice this in the air, sort of, grab your own um, your own um, tra uh, trap, your own deltoid, like that, that bit behind your shoulder. That's where you want to grab. And you can kind of get enough of a bite there to then rock your shoulder back and compress the space. With another body in there, you can't always reach all the way around to grab yourself, so you grab theirs. And if you can get that kind of a hook, you can then uh, you can then kind of roll your own ch the arm, whatever arm is choking. You can roll that shoulder back, and that will comp and that'll collapse the space. And Mazo decided it was better to have two hands try to fight the arm around her neck, and it. I'm not sure whether it was or it wasn't, but it didn't work out for her here as Maverick gets all the way around, gets kind of an S-grip, and forces the choke. Uh, needed win for Maverick. Middleweight, Cody Brundage defeated Dolce Lungiambula via guillotine, 341 of the first. Wild fight. Uh, Brundage comes out and both men kind of can't quite find the distance right away. Brundage ducks a hook, goes for a takedown, and Lungiambula, he's defending, and he's landing these, they look, they're short blows, like the kind of short hammer fists and punches that you get when you have one arm free. You're kind of stuffing the head with one hand, and you've got the other one there, and it's like, oh, may as well do something with it, so I'm going to hit you in the head. He has power in those short spaces, man. He hurt Brundage, and he kept doing it, and... Brundage kept pursuing the takedown, but he kept getting hit. Uh, once they finally separated, Lungiambula just still all over him. There were... Uh, I mean, this was on its way to being a 10-8. Like, the offense was that overwhelming in favor of Lungiambula, and there were a couple of moments when Brundage is pinned against the fence, and he's got you know, one hand out, one hand kind of defending, and he's just not moving all that well, and the ref's sitting there going, you gotta show me something, and he, he would, but he was in a, he was not in a good spot. He was getting bombed on. Then Lungiambula goes, decides it's time for a double leg, and as Brundage defends the initial attack, and he, in that initial kind of shot, he gets his right arm in position for the guillotine under the neck. Left arm swings out and around under the arm, so this is the arm in variation. Grabs that as they're going down, and he's good about staying um, parallel. Uh, one of the, one of the ways you defend the guillotine choke when you get taken down like this uh, on the takedown, you try to get yourself off to the non-choking side so that you can get a little more space in there. Uh, Brundage very good about keeping everything in perfect alignment compresses everything, one of the things about the arm-in variation instead of the uh, arm-free. And this changes a little bit depending on the grip you're using, so a lot of... 
if you go, if you don't go arm in, the old school thought was, you know, you get the grip around the neck, you get around the arm, and then you, you extend. You, str- you, know, you push out with your legs, you pull back, and this tightens everything and it compresses. With the high elbow variation that's been a bit more popular over the last couple of years, you don't quite need that much work with your lower body. Uh, but when you do the arm in variation, you want to, instead of pull everything apart, you want to squeeze everything together. And he was he was absolutely good about doing that. You can see he's still up, his core is engaged, he's like doing a sit-up. And that squeezes everything together and actually compresses uh, compresses the choke when you've got the arm in. Something about the... Uh, having the arm in means that it's easier to kind of compress things together for the choke rather than pull them apart. Uh, got the choke, got the tap after, again, getting the snot beat out of him. Uh, good comeback win for Brundage. Bantamweight Guido Canetti defeated Chris Moutinho via TKO punches 207 of the first. Uh, solid win for Canetti. He landed some good leg kicks. Then he caught a, he landed a couple of straight punches that landed flush. Then he just got in Moutinho's face and threw enough to get the ref to stop it. Uh, Moutinho never went down, but watch the clip of the finish. Uh, he gets hit and the lights go out for a second. Uh, perfectly acceptable stoppage. Uh, solid win for Kennedy, who's... I think he got... The, you think in this fight, he became the oldest fighter at bantamweight to win in the UFC. He's in his 40s. And you know, beat up the, the young kid, so good on... Yeah, was He's 42. So good on... You know, good on Kennedy, man. He's still out there, still getting it done. Um, somebody called him out. Um, oh, Basara. Yeah, Javid Basara called him out uh, after the fight. Um, his logic was he wanted to fight somebody who had fought right around him because he, that that mean the timing would line up so he could get another fight in before Ramadan starts. And uh, Kennedy, again, obviously fought on this card, obviously won in fairly short order. I'm fine with that. I would be fine with that fight. It's a perfectly good fight. Uh, it would make sense for both guys, too, so I don't know that they'll make it or not, but it was a, I thought it was a good call-out from Basara. Uh, and kicking everything off, Azamat Mirzakhanov defeated Tafan Chukwi via knockout. Flying knee, 44 seconds into the third round. Um, Mirzakhanov had a decent enough first, like, two minutes, but once his plan of throw the overhand left wasn't working... He didn't seem to have a plan B. Uh, and Chukwe just kind of started picking at him, you know, keeping him backing up, keeping him, and just chewing at him. And then in the third, Chukwe gets a little bit over-aggressive, comes into a left hand, and it hurts him. He starts backing up. Uh, Mirzakhanov fighting southpaw. Sneaky little switch He's as he's pursuing... He kind of steps forward with his left as it, throwing like a shifting punch. And then that loads his right leg for the flying knee because he comes up with the right knee and that's what lands. Uh, sneaky little finish, but not a great fight before that. Uh, again, 44 seconds of the third round. Yeah, that was the event. Your your bonuses. There was no fight of the night. Which is kind of a shame. 
We've had some darn good fights. Uh, instead, there were four performance bonuses, one for Song Yudong, Kal uh, for Song Yudong, Khalil Roundtree Jr., Cody Brundage, and Azamat Mirzakhanov. Um, I don't really object to any of that. You know who could? Um, I think anybody kind of got jobbed there. Dober, maybe? Dober might have got the shaft a little bit on that one. Um... I mean, we know that th we know the UFC gives out other uh, discretionary bonuses that they do not disclose to the public, but they do disclose to the IRS and uh, any court documents they have and whatnot. So um, we are. So I imagine I imagine Dober was given a kind of discretionary bonus that was not officially announced. Um, so who knows? Uh, as far as there not being a fight of the night overall, um, I don't know where I would have given it. Where would I have gone? If I had to pick a fight of the night, what's just the best fight? Probably Brundage and Longia. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Any fight that went the distance, I might have got. No, no. I might. I would have gone Semmelsberger and Fletcher. Uh, I, I, I would have gone Semmelsberger and Fletcher as my fight of the night. Uh, that was a that was a pretty good fight. But anyway, that's where we land as far as the bonuses go. To anyone who read my report, who followed along live, or who read my report after the fact, I sincerely thank you. That's available in, uh, over in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. If you listener would like to read my round-by-round -round recap and live scoring, that's where you can find it. Alrighty, let us move on. To UFC on ESPN plus 62. Main event, as of this particular recording, Alexander Volkov versus Tom Aspinall. It's a big step up for Aspinall, but Aspinall has looked like the real deal. Uh, I mean, he's on a long winning streak, undefeated in the UFC, with finishes over Jake Collier, Alan Badeau, Andre Arlovsky, and Sergei Spivak. Um, of those, only Arlovsky got out of the first round with him. Uh, this is, uh, this represents a step up, but a necessary step up. I, I do think it's time that we, uh, we see Aspinall tested against someone like this. And Volkov, 3-1 and one in his last four, the only loss would be to Cyril Gaon. I mean, his only losses in the UFC are to Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades, and Cyril Gaon, so... And he beat the crap out of Derek Lewis before that Hail Mary win by Lewis in the third. So if you wanted to look at you know, who are the only guys that he really got beat up by, that he really struggled to, you know, find a lot of success against, it's Blades and Gone. So, you know, two of the five best heavyweights in the world. Uh, this is a this is a serious step up for Aspinall. <sighs> Volkov's a very good... Volkov's an interesting striker because he's good for a long guy. I mean, Volkov's big. He's like 6'7". Yeah, he's 6'7", and 80-inch reach. He's good at distance. He's also good in the pocket, which is rare for a, a big man like that. But he's good at both of those ranges. Aspinall's probably not going to try to wrestle him to death the way Curtis Blades did. He might work the clinch. Uh, Bla and Volkov's clinch game is, it's not bad. Uh, he's got good knees from the clinch, but it's a place, it's an area that he can be, 
susceptible to uh, from time to time. I tend to think Aspinall is going to engage in a bit more straight kind of boxing, kickboxing, kickboxing with him. Uh, you know, Aspinall's got good elbows. This is a tough one. This is a really tough one to pick. This is Aspinall's first five-round fight. Let me double-check that. I'm 90% sure. Uh, yeah. I'm going to call it his first five-round. I mean, he's never been out of the second. His entire professional career, Tom Aspinall has never been out of the second round. The deepest he's ever gone was his fight at Bama 25. Got to 333 of the second. No, sorry, there was a 359. His losses. So both of his losses. Uh, one of them, again, Bama 21, 359 of the second, he gets heel hooked. Then 333 of the second at Bama 20, uh, 25, he is disqualified for using an illegal downward elbow. And undefeated since then, all fin again, finishes in the... All of them in the first, except the Arlovsky fight, which was 109 in the second. I don't know that he'll be able to get Volkov out of there that quickly. In fact, have a quick look at Volkov. Has he ever lost in the... Okay, the only... Yeah, he hasn't lost in the first round. It's happened to him once or twice throughout his career. His first loss ever, so 2009 was a first-round loss. Um, when he fought Maxim Grishin... There's a name. Sorry, I, just, I know... I've I've seen a lot of Grishin's work, so blast from the past a little bit. He was stopped in the first round. Uh, his loss to Pat Bennett was in the fourth. Decision after four rounds? Huh, interesting. Uh, then his fight with Vitaly Minikov at Bellator 108, lost in the first. Then Tony Johnson was a decision. Congo was a decision. Blades was the, or Lewis was the third. Then Blades and Gone were both decisions. So it's hard to get him out of there early. Not impossible, but when you look at the man's... I mean, I listed off a few fights. So of his nine losses, a few of them came in the first. That spread over... So the Minikov loss was in 13. His first ever loss was 19. It was 09. So we're talking about a few over a career that goes dates back to April of 09 and has 43 total fights. If Aspinall can get him out of there in a hurry, that will say a lot. It will say a lot about uh, what where Aspinall is as a fighter. I think if this goes really deep, it might swing towards Volkov. Volkov's shown decent five-round cardio. Especially for a heavyweight. Aspinall's not quite the technician that you might need to be to really trouble Volkov. But he's got power and he's you know got the determination. Neither... I'm curious to see if either guy really tries to wrestle. We're going to see some clinch work. I'm fairly certain about that. But I don't know that anyone, either of them is going to really try to wrestle the other. That'll... Might be a bit of an X factor. See if he, if either of them can find a consistent you know, some consistent advantage in that area. Uh, they that might be an avenue. My inclination is still to lean towards Aspinall, uh, but a big step up for him, man. 
Poof. And Volkov is no one's easy out. So, it's a good fight. Appreciate the matchmaking that went into that one. I am going to lean towards Aspinall, but barely. It's a good fight. Comment event. Patty Pimblett and Rodrigo Vargas. This is a this is a showcase fight for Pimblett, who's got some defensive issues. Um, he got hurt in his first fight. Uh, he kind of had to gut through that one a little bit. But Vargas is one and two in the UFC. He is he's being brought here to lose. He's here to be the enhancement talent to make the hometown guy look good. Let's call it what it is. He might still upset the apple cart, but that is the intent. So, picking Pimblet. Here's a darn good fight. Arnold Allen and Dan Hooker at featherweight. Hooker dropping back to 145. Arnold Allen has not lost in the UFC. He is on an overall, what, 11-fight winning streak? 7, 8, hang on. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah, ten. Okay, ten. Ten fight winning streak. Of those ten fights, eight are in the UFC. Now, some of the wins are not people you'll recognize. He beats Alan Omer in his UFC debut. What's an Alan Omer? Yeah, we get it. Split over Makwan Amir Khani. I thought it was fairly given to him. Beats Mads Burnell. He was losing that fight before he catches a kind of front choke variation in the third round. Um, oh, I forgot to mention this at the end of that last... L let me say this real briefly since Mads Burnell just came up. I joke about Bellator a lot because Bellator makes it easy to do so. But from their event on Friday, if you have not seen Adam Bortz and Mads Burnell... Uh, right now. Just right now. Great, great fight. Um, I thought, I thought the judge who went 5-0 for boards was nuts. I was 4-1. But, great fight. Absolutely uh, a great, great fight. Uh, still can't believe the UFC let that guy go. Yeah, Madge Brunel is great. Anyway, beats Mads Brunel, Jordan Rinaldi, Gilbert Melendez. Not being able to finish Melendez. There's a little bit of a question mark there. He should have. Uh, then beats Nick Lenz, beats Sadiq Youssef. So this is a real step up for Allen. Uh, I'm curious how Hooker will do back at featherweight. Um, he, his last featherweight fight was 2016 when he lost, he lost to Jason Knight. Uh, after that, moved up to lightweight, went on his, you know, significant run there. Uh, now he's dropping back in the wake of his, you know, one and three. I mean, he only lost to Dustin Poirier in a war. God, that fight with, between him and Poirier in 2020. One of the best fights of that year. Absolute war. Gets stopped by Chandler, beats Hack Perez, gets tapped out by Makashev. Kind of, you know, I think he kind of realized he might have hit his ceiling. <clears throat> so he's trying his hand back at featherweight where he he was mid, he was a middling featherweight in the UFC initially 
That said, he is a much better fighter overall now, so. Uh, this is a great fight. I'm uh, leaning towards Hooker, but I could be very wrong about that. This is a really good fight. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, heavyweights, Shamil Abdurahimov and Sergei Pavlovich. I know they made this fight a while ago. I do. But I... I don't know. Sorry. Oh, I'm confusing Pavlovich with someone else. Okay. I was about to have a whole other thing. Sorry. I'm glad I double-checked that. It's still not a good fight. <laughs> um, Abdurahimov is on a two-fight losing streak. He's been finished by both Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkus. He was on a three-fight winning streak before that. Beat Chase Sherman, Andre Arlovsky, and Marcin Tabora. Whereas Pavlovich... Um, debuted in the UFC and lost to Alistair Overeem. Since then, he's beaten Marcelo Goleman, Maurice Green. Hmm. This seems like a test for Pavlovich more than anything else, so... I mean, logically, I should probably go with Abdurahimov, who's just a difficult out, even if he's not always an exciting fighter. But I'm going to go with Pavlovich, and I'm just going to be prepared to eat crow. Light heavyweight, Nikita Krylov and Paul Craig. Krylov is in kind of do-or-die territory here. Um, he's one and three. He's two and three since returning to the UFC. Losses to Jan Blahovich, Glover Teixeira. There was a split that I thought he won, candidly, and uh, Magomed Ankalaev. So, former champion, current champion, current top contender, possible future champion. Not scrubs. And in the midst, intermi intermingled in there, he has wins over Ovin St. Preux and Johnny Walker. He's a, There's a lot of... Um, Krylov has a lot of ability, but he's just, he's been way too up and down. Uh, and it's been a problem. On the other hand, you have Paul Craig, who is consistently inconsistent as a general rule, but who's on a pretty good unbeaten streak, actually, dating back to 19. Um... Had that draw with Shogun that was... I thought it was a draw, but I thought Shogun was lucky to escape with it. Put it like that. Um, then they... The rematch with Hua that they had uh, in 2020, he beat him fairly easily. Beat Jamal Hill his last fight out. Um, this is a step up for Craig, believe it or not. I mean, I know Hill just... is shot up the rankings recently, but... Uh, I think Krylov represents a slightly different level of consistency. There's a real argument that Craig simply got Hill at the right time, more than anything else. Um, I'm going to lean towards Paul Craig, but 
I could be very, very wrong about that one. That one, if I'm wrong, I'm going to be spectacularly wrong. And kicking off the main card, Gunnar Nelson will fight Takashi Sato. Sato. Um, Sato, in the UFC, has gone 2-2. Two two. Um, he had a good run through Pancras. Been out for a while. Um, he got choked out by Miguel Baez in November of 2020 and hasn't been seen since. So, a little bit over a year. This is another one that seems like it's kind of designed to be a showcase for Nelson, but speaking of guys who've been out for a while, Gunnar Nelson was last seen in September of 2019 when he lost to Gilbert Burns. Uh, before that, he had a split decision loss to Leon Edwards. You know, he just... Uh, why was he out? I don't know. There's no, there's nothing listed here. Uh, as far as why he's been, why he didn't fight at all in 2020 or 2021. So, Sato's taking this on kind of short notice. This was supposed to be Gunnar Nelson and Claudio Silva. I would have favored Claudio Silva in that, believe it or not. Now I'm going to lean towards Nelson. But Ring Rust might catch up to him. Who knows? I mean, he's been gone for so long and he's on the losing streak, so who knows? Uh, that's your main card. As for the prelims, uh, lightweight Jai Herbert and Ilya Teporia. <sighs> Mr. Teporia at lightweight? Isn't he normally a featherweight? Oh, he's um he's replacing somebody. Okay. That gives me a bit of pause. Let me take a look at Herbert real fast. One and two. I mean, guy comes to fight. I'm going with Taporia here. I think pretty highly of Ilya Taporia's abilities. And I don't mean to cast dispersions on Jai Herbert, who is not a bad fighter by any stretch of the imagination. But I think I think very highly of Taporia. I think that guy's a player at featherweight. And while I know this is up at lightweight and at short notice, I still am going to lean towards him. Uh, he's good. Let's see, flyweight Mohamed Makayev versus Cody Durden. Mr. Durden has gone 1-1-1 one, one, and one in the UFC. His debut was a draw. He was tapped out by Jimmy Flick. And he beat Orichi Lung in his last fight, which was November of last year. I believe Makayev is making his UFC debut. I'm going to double-check that, though. Um, where is that fight listed here? It might not be listed. Did this fall out? I'm just not aware of it. Hmm. Uh, no, there you are. There you are. He is 5-0. and Won no contest. Hmm. I'm going to lean towards Durden just based on experience, but that's that's a bit iffy. Uh, featherweight, Mike Grundy and Makwan Amir Khani. Uh, they're still trying with Amir Khani, aren't they? 
Grundy's gone one and two in the UFC. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Um, lost to Movsar Avloyev and then Lando Venata. That that Venata fight was tough. It was a tough fight. Um, Amir Khani's on a three-fight losing streak. He got knocked out by Lerone Murphy. <laughs> it was a brutal knockout. I'm gonna pick Grundy, but eh, I'm not sure that's correct. That's that's more down to how Amir Khani is able to perform, I think, than anything else. Uh, women's flyweight Molly McCann and Luana Carolina should be McCann's fight. I mean, this is about as close to a gimme as they could give her in her weight class, so. Yeah, bantamweight Jack Shore and Timur Valiev. It's a pretty good fight, actually. Shore is undefeated. He's 15-0, four wins in the UFC. Uh, Valiev, see, on a long winning, a long unbeaten streak. I mean, he had the no contest with Jones, but won his last two. Um, yeah, that fight with Hani Barcelos, man. It was a good fight. I'm going to lean towards Valiev, but... Maybe I shouldn't. Like, that's that's one of the, that's a really close fight. Uh, let's see. Women's strawweight, Corey McKenna and Elise Reed. I believe we have two debutantes here. Look, Reed, 4-1. and one. No, she lost... Oh, yeah, yeah. She got kind of smashed by Sajara Eubanks. I remember that fight. McKenna. Oh, she has a she has one fight in the UFC too, I believe. Yeah, she beat Kay Hansen. Uh, seems like a setup for McKenna. Uh, let's see, Nathaniel Wood and Vince Morales. Is our last fight listed here? Wood. Hmm. He had a bit of hype. Then he ran into John Dodson and couldn't performed well, but got stopped. Coming off of a loss to Casey Kenny, it was a rough loss for him too. Um, Morales, by contrast, on a two-fight winning streak, he's been up and down in the UFC. Like he's he's had some pretty tough losses. Uh, this is less of a setup than some other ones, but there this also is kind of favorable matchmaking for Wood. But Wood needs a win in a pretty big way. I mean, he's he's talented. I don't mean to imply otherwise. He's only 28. Uh, debuted in the UFC in 18. He's coming up on four years. If he's going to make a move, it is time to make a move, and this is the platform from which he needs to launch that if he's going to do so. Uh, would kind of be my last... Uh, my observation there. Anyway, that's the card as it currently stands. This Saturday, I will have coverage of that in the MMAZona411mania.com. 
This is happening in prime time in London. So the main card, I believe, is scheduled to start at 2 p.m. Eastern. Something like that. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can confirm that very quickly here. Uh, no, it's just, hang on. This might be wrong. So the main card is currently listed as two where I am is four Eastern. I wonder if they just either haven't adjusted for daylight saving or not. Um, remains to be seen. Or the broadcast was, uh, or the broadcast hadn't last night when they were talking about it. Either way, look for, again, kind of that um, prelims to start sometime around noon or 1 Eastern in the vicinity. So if you want to watch live, uh, it's going to be starting a lot earlier than usual, so just be aware. And again, I will have coverage over in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com when the time comes. So please do stop by, say hello. That is always, always appreciated. Okay, last thing I have here. I have one bit of news, then I'm going to check Twitter. Because it's always a good idea. Um, Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler has been set for UFC 274. This will serve as the co-main event to the lightweight title fight between Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. I imagine this will serve as a backup. Uh, that would be a harder sell in some cases, but I think the UFC would probably do it if they have to. Um, if something happens to Chandler, uh, excuse me, something happens to Oliveira or Gaethje, you've got... Man, all of those guys, not all of them have fought each other in combination yet, but Chandler's fought both guys in the main event. Gaethje's already fought Ferguson. Oliveira and Gaethje have both beaten Ferguson. But if it would be a short notice kind of thing, so they might be building a backup there. I said it when they announced the initial card for 274. That main event is, that is crack. Like, hook that into my veins, yes. But that did not have a strong supporting cast. Ferguson and Chandler absolutely adds value to your pay-per-view. Um, that's a tough fight for Tony Ferguson, too, man. That might be his last stand as a as a title, as an elite-level lightweight around the title picture. If he loses to, Ferg to Chandler, it's not that losing to Chandler is some giant condemnation of your ability. It's not, not at all. But that would be four in a row. Losses to Gaethje, Oliveira, Dariush, and then Chandler. And, I mean, he took a beating in that Gagey fight that was horrific. He got his arm torn apart by Charles Oliveira. He got his knee torn apart by Dariush. If he loses again here, I think that'll, again, not because Chandler is some low-level guy. But I think that might be it for him. 
uh, would be a shame. But if he does lose, I think that will be it for his title aspirations. My initial lean on that fight... I actually... Uh, that's going to be tough. Chandler's probably going to win the first round. If he doesn't get a stoppage, though, Ferguson might be able to do something later. I, I lean Chandler. I, I think I lean Chandler, as I think about it now. But I will have something more detailed for you when the fight comes uh, comes closer. All right, let me check Twitter for breaking news. And if nothing new has come out, we will get into plugs and we will wrap up. All right, nothing new. So let's get into plugs. Can you find me this week? Uh, last week, let me do last week real fast. Uh, I took part in a Damn You Hollywood for the Batman. So if you're interested in my thoughts on movies, I am part of Damn You Hollywood over in the W2M Network slash Radulation Broadcasting Network, where, where I'm one of the hosts of that particular program. Uh, that was myself and Mark talking about the Batman, and uh, I'm not proud of how I conducted myself for the first part of that review. I don't mean the part where I walked off to get a sandwich while Mark and Andrew talked about their feelings. Um, I wasn't going to contribute anything to that part of the discussion anyway. <laughs> uh, but once we got into the review proper, I brought a bit of baggage that wasn't necessary. And thankfully it got settled quickly. And we wound up having, a, I thought, a very good discussion about the movie. The good, the bad, the otherwise. So you can listen to that. Um, very briefly, if you're interested in uh, boxing uh, uh, and you know, podcasts related to it, my friends Mark Radulich and Pat Mullen, had, they had a history of the heavyweight division, a series of podcasts, uh, that I very much enjoyed. They're doing another series right now ongoing about the Four Kings. Uh, that would be Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, and Marvin Hagler. And their latest chapter went up last week. So if you're interested in that, this is, they were talking about Marvin Hagler versus Tommy Hearns. The eight minutes of absolute war. <laughs> that was that fight. Uh, tremendous, tremendous fight. Uh, I don't have a whole lot this week as far as podcasts go. My usual spate of professional wrestling coverage uh, in the written form. Uh, so last week I got drafted last minute to cover AEW's Dynamite. So in addition to AEW's Dark Elevation, MLW's, uh, they had the Super Fight card, headlined by Alexander Hammerstone and Davey Richards. And then WWE SmackDown, where uh, Big E had his neck broken. Two vertebrae broke. Um, thankfully, no, no damage to the spinal column. Uh, no discs. I don't think any discs were displaced. So there's no real displacement. He seems to be in good spirits, has full feeling and strength in all of his limbs. But put a damp, oh, put a damper on that whole event. Not a good event anyway, but you add on top of it that a more inexperienced and demonstrably not safe worker tried a belly-to-belly -belly suplex on the floor and basically dropped Biggie on his head. That's how he broke his neck. Uh, yeah, not good. Not good. 
So you can find my you can find all of my written reports for those events in the MMA in the wrestling zone rather four one one mania dot com. This week, the usual spate, Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW on Thursday, uh, SmackDown on Friday, and then the UFC event on Saturday. So that will be this week. The next week, next week I'm busy. I have podcasts on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week, so that'll be fun. But, uh, yeah, full preview, full... Um, Obviously, a, a full, uh, fuller plugs next week. I'm going to go into detail here. Uh, also, of course, on Sunday, I'll be back here to review UFC on ESPN Plus 62. And to preview... Let's see, where are you? Uh, preview UFC on ESPN Plus 63. That's a good fight. Uh, headlined by Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins. It's not a terrible fight. You also on that same card, Askar Askarov versus Kai Kara France. That's pretty good. Poor Askarov. Should be in the title picture. Uh, welterweights Matt Brown and, Bri- and Brian Barberina. That'll be nuts. Uh, Nate Landwehr will be on, will be in action. So we'll have a full we'll have a full preview next week. So tune back in for that. And yeah, until then, keep sharing the show. Thank you so very much for listening. As usual, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.